Chapter Eight of Pushing to the Front by Horizon Sweat Marden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Luke Sartor. Chapter Eight. Your opportunity confronts you. What will you do with it? Never before was the opportunity of the educated man so great as today. Never before was there such a demand for the trained man, the man who can do a thing superbly well. At the door of every vocation is a sign out, wanted a man. No matter how many millions are out of employment, the whole world is hunting for a man who can do things, a trained thinker who can do whatever he undertakes a little better than it has ever before been done. Everywhere it is the educated, the trained man, the man whose natural ability has been enlarged, enhanced one hundredfold by superior training that is wanted. On all sides we see men with small minds, but who are well educated, pushing ahead of those who have greater capabilities, but who are only half educated. A one-talent man, superbly trained, often gets the place when a man with many untrained or half-trained talents loses it. Never was ignorance placed at such a disadvantage as today. While the opportunities awaiting the educated man, the college graduate, on his entrance into practical life were never before so great and so numerous as today, so also the dangers and temptations which beset him were never before so great, so numerous, so insidious. All education which does not elevate, refine, and ennoble its recipient is a curse instead of a blessing. A liberal education only renders a rascal more dishonest, more dangerous. Educated rascality is infinitely more of a menace to society than ignorant rascality. Every year, thousands of young men and women graduate full of ambition and hope, full of expectancy, go out from the schools, the colleges, and the universities with their diplomas to face for the first time the practical world. There is nothing else, perhaps, which the graduate needs to be cautioned against more than the money madness which has seized the American people, for nothing else is more fatal to the development of the higher, finer instincts and nobler desires. Wealth with us multiplies a man's power so tremendously that everything gravitates toward it. A man's genius, art, what he stands for, is measured largely by how many dollars it will bring. How much can I get for my picture? How much royalty for my book? How much can I get out of my specialty, my profession, my business? How can I make the most money? Or, how can I get rich? Is the great interrogation of the century. How will the graduate, the trained young man or woman answer it? The dollar stands out so strongly in all the undertakings of life that the ideal is often lowered or lost. The artistic suffers. The soul's wings are weighted down with gold. The commercial spirit tends to drag everything down to its dead, sordid level. It is the subtle menace 
which threatens to poison the graduate's ambition. Whichever way you turn, the dollar mark will swing into your vision. The money god, which nearly everybody worships in some form or other, will tempt you on every hand. Never before was such pressure brought to bear on the trained youth to sell his brains, to coin his ability into dollars, to prostitute his education, as today. The commercial prizes held up to him are so dazzling, so astounding, that it takes a strong, vigorous character to resist their temptation, even when the call in one to do something which bears little relation to money-making speaks very loudly. The song of the money siren today is so persistent, so entrancing, so overwhelming, that it often drowns the still small voice which bids one follow the call that runs in his blood, that is indicated in the very structure in his brain. Tens of thousands of young people, just out of school and college, stand tiptoe on the threshold of active life, with high ideals and glorious visions, full of hope and big with promise, but many of them will very quickly catch the money contagion, the fatal germ, will spread throughout their whole natures, inoculating their ambition with its vicious virus, and after a few years their fair college vision will fade, their yearnings for something higher will gradually die and be replaced by material, sordid, selfish ideals. The most unfortunate day in a youth's career is that one on which his ideals begin to grow dim and his high standards begin to drop, that day on which is born in him the selfish money-making germ, which so often warps and wrenches the whole nature out of its legitimate orbit. You will need to be constantly on your guard to resist the attack of this germ. After you graduate and go out into the world, powerful influences will be operative in your life, tending to deteriorate your standards, lower your ideals, and encoarsen you generally. When you plunge into the swim of things, you will be constantly thrown into contact with those of lower ideals, who are actuated by sordid, selfish aims. Then dies the man, the woman in you, unless you are made of superior stuff. What a contrast that high and noble thing which the college diploma stands for presents to that which many owners of the diploma stand for a quarter of a century later. It is often difficult to recognize any relationship between the two. American Indian graduates are so transformed by the inspiring, uplifting influences of the schools and colleges which are educating them, that they are scarcely recognizable by their own tribes when they return home, very quickly begin to change under the deteriorating influences operating upon them when they leave college. They soon begin to shed their polish, their fine manners, their improved language, and general culture. The Indian blanket replaces their modern dress, and they gradually drift back into their former barbarism. They become Indians again. The influences that will surround you when you leave college, or your special training school, 
will be as potent to drag you down as those that cause the young Indian to revert to barbarism. The shock you will receive in dropping from the atmosphere of high ideals and beautiful promise in which you have lived for four years to that of a very practical, cold, sordid materiality will be a severe test to your character, your manhood. But the graduate whose training, whose education counts for anything, ought to be able to resist the shock to withstand all temptations. The educated man ought to be able to do something better, something higher, than merely to put money in his purse. Money-making cannot compare with man-making. There is something infinitely better than to be a millionaire of money, and that is to be a millionaire of brains, of culture, of helpfulness to one's fellows, a millionaire of character, a gentleman. Whatever degrees you carry from school or college, whatever distinction you may acquire in your career, no title will ever mean quite so much, will ever be quite so noble as that of gentlemen. A keen and sure sense of honor, says ex-president Elliot of Harvard University, is the finest result of college life. The graduate who has not acquired this keen and sure sense of honor, this thing that stamps the gentleman, misses the best thing that a college education can impart. Your future fortunate graduate, like a great block of pure white marble, stands untouched before you. You hold the chisel and mallet, your ability, your education, in your hands. There is something in the block for you, and it lives in your ideal. Shall it be angel or devil? What are your ideals as you stand tiptoe on the threshold of active life? Will you smite the block and shatter it into an unshapely, hideous piece? Or will you call out a statue of usefulness, of grace and beauty, a statue which will tell the unborn generations the story of a noble life? Great advantages bring great responsibilities. You cannot divorce them. A liberal education greatly increases a man's obligations. There is coupled with it a responsibility which you cannot shirk without paying the penalty in a shriveled soul, a stunted mentality, a warped conscience, and a narrow field of usefulness. It is more of a disgrace for a college graduate to grovel, to stoop to mean, low practices, than for a man who has not had a liberal education. The educated man has gotten a glimpse of power, of grander things, and is expected to look up, not down, to aspire, not to grovel. We cannot help feeling that it is worse for a man to go wrong, who has had all the benefits of a liberal education, than it is for one who has not had glimpses of higher things, who has not had similar advantages, because where much is given, much is expected. The world has a right to expect that, wherever there is an educated, trained man, people should be able to say of him, as Lincoln said of Walt Whitman, There goes a man. The world has a right to expect that the graduate, 
having once faced the light and felt its power, will not turn his back on it, that he will not disgrace his alma mater, which has given him his superior chance in life, and open wide for him the door of opportunity. It has a right to expect that a man who has learned how to use skillfully the tools of life will be an artist and not an artisan, that he will not stop growing. Society has a right to look to the collegian to be a refining, uplifting force in his community, an inspiration to those who have not had his priceless chance. It is justified in expecting that he will raise the standard of intelligence in his community, that he will illustrate in his personality, his finer culture, the possible glory of life. It has a right to expect that he will not be a victim of the narrowing, cramping influence of avarice, that he will not be a slave of the dollar, or stoop to a greedy, grasping career, that he will be free from the sordidness which often characterizes the rich ignoramus. If you have the ability and have been given superior opportunities, it simply means that you have a great commission to do something out of the ordinary for your fellows, a special message for humanity. If the torch of learning has been put in your hand, its significance is that you should light up the way for the less fortunate. If you have received the message which carries freedom for people enslaved by ignorance and bigotry, you have no right to suppress it. Your education means an increased obligation to live your life up to the level of your gift, your superior opportunity. Your duty is to deliver your message to the world with all the manliness, vigor, and force you possess. What shall we think of a man who has been endowed with godlike gifts, who has had the inestimable advantage of a liberal education, who has ability to ameliorate the hard conditions of his fellows, to help to emancipate them from ignorance and drudgery? What shall we think of this man, so divinely endowed, so superbly equipped, who, instead of using his education to lift his fellow men, uses it to demoralize, to drag them down, who employs his talents in the book he writes, in the picture he paints, in his business, whatever it may be, to mislead, to demoralize, to debauch, who uses his light as a decoy, to lure his fellows on the rocks and reefs, instead of as a beacon to guide them into port. We imprison the burglar for breaking into our houses and stealing, but what shall we do with the educated rascal who uses his trained mind and all his gifts to ruin the very people who look up to him as a guide? The greatest thing you can do is to be what you ought to be. A great man has said that no man will be content to live a half-life when he has once discovered it is a half-life, because the other half, the higher half, will haunt him. Your superior training has given you a glimpse of the higher life. Never lose sight of your college vision. Do not permit yourself to be influenced by the maxims of a low, sordid prudence, which will be dinned into your ears wherever you go. 
regard the very suggestion that you shall coin your education your high ideals into dollars that you lower your standards prostitute your education by the practice of low-down sordid methods as an insult say to yourself if the highest thing in me will not bring success surely the lowest the worst cannot the mission of the trained man is to show the world a higher finer type of manhood the world has a right to expect better results from the work of the educated man something finer of a higher grade and better quality than from the man who lacks early training the man who has discovered only a small part of himself pretty good fairly good applied either to character or to work are bad mottoes for an educated man you should be able to demonstrate that the man with a diploma has learned to use the tools of life skillfully has learned how to focus his faculties so that he can bring the whole man to his task and not a part of himself low ideals slipshod work aimless systemlessness half-hearted endeavors should have no place in your program it is a disgrace for a man with a liberal education to botch his work demoralize his ideals discredit his teachers dishonor the institution which has given him his chance to be a superior man keep your eye on the model don't watch your hands is the injunction of a great master as he walks up and down among his pupils criticizing their work the trouble with most of us is that we do not keep our eyes on the model we lose our earlier vision a liberal education ought to broaden a man's mind so that he will be able to keep his eye always on the model the perfect ideal of his work uninfluenced by the thousand and one petty annoyances bickerings misunderstandings and discords which destroy much of the efficiency of narrower less cultivated minds the graduate ought to be able to rise above these things so that he can use all his brain power and energy and fling the weight of his entire being into work that is worth while after the withdrawal of a play that has only been a short time on the stage we often read this comment an artistic success but a financial failure while an education should develop all that is highest and best in a man it should also make him a practical man not a financial failure be sure that you possess your knowledge that your knowledge does not possess you the mere possession of a diploma will only hold you up to ridicule will only make you more conspicuous as a failure if you cannot bring your education to a focus and utilize it in a practical way knowledge is power only when it can be made available practical only what you can use of your education will benefit you or the world the great question which confronts you in the practical world is what can you do with what you know 
can you transmute your knowledge into power? Your ability to read your Latin diploma is not a test of true education. A stuffed memory does not make an educated man. The knowledge that can be utilized, that can be translated into power, constitutes the only education worthy of the name. There are thousands of college-bred men in this country who are loaded down with knowledge that they have never been able to utilize, to make available for working purposes. There is a great difference between absorbing knowledge, making a sponge of one's brain, and transmuting every bit of knowledge into power, into working capital. As the silkworm transmutes the mulberry leaf into satin, so you should transmute your knowledge into practical wisdom. There is no situation in life in which the beneficent influence of a well-assimilated education will not make itself felt. The college man ought to be a superior figure anywhere. The consciousness of being well-educated should put one at ease in any society. The knowledge that one's mentality has been broadened out by college training, that one has discovered his possibilities, not only adds wonderfully to one's happiness, but also increases one's self-confidence immeasurably. And self-confidence is the lever that moves the world. On every hand we see men of good ability who feel crippled all their lives and are often mortified by having to confess, by the poverty of their language, their sordid ideals, their narrow outlook on life, that they are not educated. The superbly trained man can go through the world with his head up and feel conscious that he is not likely to play the ignoramus in any company, or be mortified or pained by ignorance of matters which every well-informed person is supposed to know. This assurance of knowledge multiplies self-confidence and gives infinite satisfaction. In other words, a liberal education makes a man think a little more of himself, feel a little sure of himself, have more faith in himself, because he has discovered himself. There is also great satisfaction in the knowledge that one has not neglected the unfoldment the expansion of his mind, that he has not let the impressionable years of youth go by unimproved. But the best thing you carry from your alma mater is not what you there prized most, not your knowledge of the sciences, languages, literature, art. It is something infinitely more sacred, of greater value than all these. And that is your aroused ambition, your discovery of yourself, of your powers, of your possibilities, your resolution to be a little more of a man, to play a manly part in life, to do the greatest, grandest thing possible to you. This will mean infinitely more to you than all you have learned from books or lectures. The most precious thing of all, however, if you have made the most of your chance, is the uplift, encouragement, inspiration, which you have absorbed from your teachers, from your associations. This is the embodiment of the college spirit 
the spirit of your alma mater. It is that which should make you reach up as well as on, which should make you aspire instead of grovel, look up instead of down. The graduate should regard his education as a sacred trust. He should look upon it as a power to be used, not alone for his advancement or for his own selfish ends, but for the betterment of all mankind. As a matter of fact, things are so arranged in this world that no one can use his divine gift for himself alone and get the best out of it. To try to keep it would be as foolish as for the farmer to hoard his seed corn in a bin instead of giving it to the earth, for fear he would never get it back. The man who withholds the giving of himself to the world does it at his peril, at the cost of mental and moral penury. The way to get the most out of ourselves, or out of life, is not to try to sell ourselves for the highest possible price, but to give ourselves, not stingily, meanly, but royally, magnanimously, to our fellows. If the rosebud should try to retain all of its sweetness and beauty locked within its petals and refuse to give it out, it would be lost. It is only by flinging them out to the world that their fullest development is possible. The man who tries to keep his education, his superior advantages, for himself, who is always looking out for the main chance, only shrivels and strangles the very faculties he would develop. The trouble with most of us is that, in our efforts to sell ourselves for selfish ends or for the most dollars, we impoverish our own lives, stifle our better natures. The graduate should show the world that he has something in him too sacred to be tampered with, something marked not for sale, a sacred something that bribery cannot touch, that influence cannot buy. You should so conduct yourself that every one will see that there is something in you that would repel as an insult the very suggestion that you could be bought or bribed or influenced to stoop to anything low or questionable. The college man who is cursed with commonness, who gropes along in mediocrity, who lives a shiftless, selfish life, and does not lift up his head and show that he has made the most of his great privileges, disgraces the institution that gave him his chance. You have not learned the best lesson from your school or college if you have not discovered the secret of making life a glory instead of a sordid grind. When you leave your alma mater, my young friend, whatever your vocation, do not allow all that is finest within you, your high ideals and noble purposes, to be suffocated, strangled, in the everlasting scramble for the dollar. Put beauty into your life. Do not let your aesthetic faculties, your aspiring instincts, be atrophied in your efforts to make a living. Do not, as thousands of graduates do, sacrifice your social instincts, 
your friendships, your good name, for power or position. Whether you make money or lose it, never sell your divine heritage, your good name, for a mess of pottage. Whatever you do, be larger than your vocation. Never let it be said of you that you succeeded in your vocation, but failed as a man. When William Storey, the sculptor, was asked to make a speech at the unveiling of his great statue of George Peabody in London, he simply pointed to the statue and said, That is my speech. So conduct yourself, that your life shall need no eulogy in words. Let it be its own eulogy. Let your success tell to the world the story of a noble career. However much money you may accumulate, carry your greatest wealth with you in a clean record and unsullied reputation. Then you will not need houses or lands or stocks or bonds to testify to a rich life. Never before did an opportunity to render such great service to mankind confront the educated youth as confronts you today. What will you do with it? End of chapter 8 Your opportunity confronts you. What will you do with it? Recording by Luke Sartor, Brisbane, Queensland.